Welcome to the Royal Tax Podcast with your hosts, Megan Templeton, Royal Legal Solutions Consulting Attorney, and Royal Legal Solutions CPA, MBA, and CFO, Pete Schindley. Each week, they talk about how to take your tax and financial strategy to the next level and learn how to build and scale your real estate investing business in a way that maximizes your returns and minimizes your taxes. This is for informational use only. For direct questions, please contact us or your local tax CPA accountant. Uh, so good morning. It's great to see some new faces and familiar faces. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Megan Templeton. I am one of the consulting attorneys here at Royal Legal. Um, this is our weekly tax show. And so the purpose for this show is to do a deep dive into um, specific tax matters, make sure we fulfill the education piece on a high level, and then also give you an opportunity to bring questions to us. So during these calls, we do record them. Um, so want to make sure you're aware of that. If you want to change your name on um, your Zoom photo so people can identify you, you're welcome to do so. You'll do so by hitting the three buttons up in the right-hand corner of your photo. Um, and then so from there, we do record these. Like I said, we store them on our Wistia channel. So they're available for you to go back and re-watch or share with friends and family if it's something that would be um, applicable to them. And then we also have got a couple other resources for you. We've got some other shows during the week. And then we also have our Discord channel, which is where we connect outside of these calls. Um, gives you a good opportunity to network with attorneys. You can ask questions. Um, we've got awesome of our staff in there, some other investors, things like that. So for today, we're going to have a little bit of a different format. Um, we are, this is one of our Q&A um, uh, topic weeks. And so with that, you know, we're going to be fielding any questions from you that you may have top of mind, and then we'll fill in with some education pieces on our end. So with that being said, since it is a different format, Pete, I'm actually going to hand it off to you if you'll give us an idea of what today looks like, and then we'll go from there. Thanks, Megan. So today's going to be a little less formal in the structure. And uh, normally we'll just, the last Thursday of every month going forward, I'll look through the Discord channel in the tax section and if there's any questions there, I'll pull those questions out and we'll kind of do a high level recap of the questions on this show. Um, usually those questions will be for that month's material, but there'll also be some random questions that we can um, bring up and discuss. Um, unfortunately, when I checked the Discord earlier today, there wasn't a lot of questions. So this show may be a little different where we kind of just take some random questions live. <laughs> and try to answer them as best we can based on the knowledge and the details we have, so. All right, well, sounds good. Well, Pete, do you wanna go ahead and hop into that Q&A portion now, or is there any introductory information we need to give or anything? Um, I think we can hop into it now. Just remember, you know, it's March 29th and tax, the tax deadline's approaching in April. So if you haven't got your taxes done, file an extension. <laughs> There you go. There you go. All right, guys. So if you have questions that are top of mind for you, you know, feel free to either A, drop them in the chat. We'll be reading and checking for those. Or if you want to use the reaction button, throw your hand up. We'll walk through them that way as well. So we'll open it up at this time. Any questions you have? Chris, it looks like you might be trying to talk there, bud. Your, your photo's lit up, but I'm not hearing anything. Maybe you're muted. Yeah, you're showing now. Do you have a question or? <laughs> Can't hear you, bud. Sorry. <laughs> I'll ask questions. I mean, I don't know if they're smart questions, but uh, let's see. So I set up a self-directed IRA about uh, a year and a half ago. And actually, I just signed up to work with Pete to do my taxes this year. So this may be like a real-time consulting. So I retired last year. Can I start making deposits into that self-directed IRA? And avoid you retired, 
reducing my tax exposure. You retired mid-year, correct? Yeah. And maybe like, how is a self-directed IRA different from a solo IRA? So I've seen that term used too. Um, so your self-directed IRA, you, you can contribute your $7,000 into that. I believe that's your contribution limit. Okay. So you, you, you can't still contribute in 2022 before you file your taxes for the 2021. Um, even though there were, okay. Um, I mean, even though I had a 401k in my job that I had for half a year, I could still contribute. Yes. Chris is nodding. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you can. And then a solo IRA, do you mean like a solo 401k or are you? I guess that's what I've seen this reference to solo and I, mine's a self-directed, right? I had an IRA or whatever at my at the companies that I worked at here in Silicon Valley. And then I turned 59 and a half and I rolled it all over into one account. And then now I have, you know, I formed an LLC and now I have a self-directed uh, IRA that- uh, I can say so, something only because I'm selfish. This is like my favorite, favorite topic. Is uh, it? <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm actually glad my microphone's working now. So this is a good thing. Right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the limit is 6,000 unless you're 50 and over then it's seven uh, for 21. Um, you know, the solo is, is, you know, like Peter's saying is the same, except you can, you know, invest in alternative assets, uh, you know, like real estate, for instance, which a lot of us are involved in. Um, if you can't, now, are you totally retired or do you have any, you said you have an LLC, is that just to hold your real estate? I mean, is everything hundred percent passive or do you have anything active? Um, I, I'm actually, uh, tutoring computer science at the local community college, but it's like 500 bucks a month. It's not. That's all you need. I mean, you could have a hobby that makes you 50 bucks the whole year and you can yeah. start, you know, a business. And the reason I'm, I, I'm asking you this is because, and again, like everything, I got to preface it that I'm not an attorney and I'm not an accountant. Uh, but uh, my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people is the self-directed 401k has so many benefits above a self-directed IRA. Uh, and if you can go that route, it's reduced fees. It's reduced exposure uh, to, um, uh, you know, problems and such like that. And uh, the ongoing costs can be a lot less expensive and a lot less onerous. You don't have to go through a custodian, you know, every time you want to do a deal. Um, so I'm a very big advocate of a 401k over an IRA. Now, that's not an option for everybody. But if it is for you, um, I would highly recommend it. So, I mean, to your point, right? So mine is actually... I, I have a custodian and my only interaction with them because the money is actually in a business checking account at my local Wells Fargo. And so all I have to do is like send them an annual, I don't know, I have it here someplace. Now is it an IRA? Did they set up an LLC for you with that IRA? I set up an LLC and it's an, okay. I think it's a self-directed IRA and I have, I have complete discretion over it. They, they, you know, all they ask for is an annual, they charge me like a couple hundred bucks to, refile and reestablish LLC or whatever the, every year. And then I just have to tell them how much is in it. Hmm. Well, if you already have it set up and, and you're already retired and you don't want to deal with any corporate complexity while well, she's not in corporate, you can just do a, a solo or a, um, a little prop uh, as well to back up the, uh, the 401k. Is it Roth or, or traditional? It's traditional. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, there's so many questions I could ask you, you know, I, I mean, just broadly speaking, I'm, I'm a huge 
huge advocate of Roth um, only because who knows in the future what the tax situation is going to be. And, you know, when anybody tells you or if you're having a frank conversation with a friend and they tell you they have this much in retirement, it's all traditional. Unlike assets out of retirement account, if it's traditional and it's any size, half of it's going to government, you know, because it's all ordinary income when you pull it out. Right. Um, but if you want more control over it, uh, I, I, I just love having, you know, the growth of a Roth uh, and having it tax-free while it's in there and tax-free when I want to pull it out. And I, I took a huge tax bite about 10 years ago, uh, moved over my self-directed 401k from my uh, my W-2 job that I had back then, paid over six figures in taxes and converted the whole thing to Roth. And I put all, I put all my cherry deals into it over the last 10 years. And uh, because of that, my effective tax rate is so incredibly low. Uh, and uh, you know, living in California, I, I could use every tax rate out I can get. Hmm. Um, but the, the nice thing about, I mean, it looks, it looks like you have a decent setup. And, and if you're doing relatively conservative investments, you know, fine. But if anything is even remotely gray, where you got to be careful is that if you do a prohibited transaction in an IRA, uh, one transaction blows up the whole IRA. Um, so if you've got a million dollar IRA and you make a, th- a $30 mistake, I mean, feasibly, the IRS could basically make you distribute the whole IRA. Whereas a 401k is transactional. It, if you do a prohibited transaction on a specific deal, it's only to that specific deal. Um, the nice thing about now in your situation, if you do convert it over to Roth and you keep it with the IRA, uh, then, you know, when you were, reti- when you turn, well, actually, I don't know what your birthday, what that would be, but it's, you know, obviously when you uh, turn 70 or 72 or whatever that number is now, uh, you start having to make distributions. But if it's Roth IRA, you don't. Um, so that is a benefit of keeping it in the IRA. Um, now, for myself, I'm probably going to keep it in the 401k. Uh, and even if I make distributions, I'm either going to be okay with that, or there's a really nice little idea that uh, maybe one of my daughters will take over the business and um, I will just stay a, a small percentage owner as an employee of them. And as long as you're still employed, you don't have to make distributions on your 401k. So, uh, you know, there, there are lots of options out there. Um, I, 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 I have to preface too that I've, I put a lot of time and research into this, but what you, I've always got to tell people is be careful with the complexity, worry more about getting the good deals. Uh, and if you're spending more time on the complexity of, of, of where the money's coming from, your, your, your focus is not in the right place. I mean, it's always, always, always a good idea to be as tax efficient as possible, but focus on the good deals first. Um, so but, I, I guess maybe is what is, does anyone know what, what is the difference between self-directed IRA versus self-directed 401k? Well, there's a number of differences. Uh, one is what I just told you about transactional versus blowing up the whole retirement right. account. Uh, one of them is, like I just said, about the distributions in your 70s that um, with even with a Roth 401k, you have to make distributions. With a Roth IRA, you don't. Uh, every, so everything except for a Roth IRA, you have to make distributions. Is it easy? Yes. Whether it's solo or regular or traditional Roth, after-tax, whatever. Uh, another benefit of a Roth IRA, too, is, and, and unfortunately, you can't do this in the same way with a Roth 401k, 
is if you want to make distributions before you're 59 and a half with a Roth IRA, any of your contra initial contributions, I shouldn't say initial, um, any contributions you made that amount, you can withdraw at any time. It's already been taxed. Um, and there won't be any tax repercussions for that. And there's no early distribution, uh, 10% early distribution fees. So that can be a really big plus to some people, especially if somebody's retiring early and they want some access to those funds. I would argue really try hard not to access those, so access those funds because they're just accumulating, you know, more uh, tax free. And once you pull it out, you know, you lost it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a big deal too to, to some people. If you try that in a Roth or four hundred one k, it's got to be a percentage. So if, if uh, you know you made sixty percent on your money, and so the original forty percent of you got hundred thousand dollars, and forty thousand is a, a contribution, and and sixty thousand is gain, then any money that you pull out early is going to have a ten percent withdrawal penalty. And the only part that is tax-free is that 40%, 40% of whatever you pull out. And you don't have to worry about that with an IRA. Uh, I just love that I don't have to deal with, I have very time sensitive, some of my charity deals are very time sensitive. You gotta send a wire and you gotta send it now. And um, I, I guess with the, I, with, the, with the LLC, maybe you don't have that problem. I don't like LLC, uh, more entities. I live in California and everything requires another entity fee. Uh, minimum of 800. Everybody says 800, but it's minimum of 800. I could show them thousands, you know, checks for thousands of dollars I've sent on some of my entities uh, mm -hmm. just for the right to have it foreign qualified in California where I live. Um, so uh, yeah, there, there, I find there's a lot of benefits because, and then also in terms of cost, uh, you know, there's ongoing costs associated with having a custodian that's not yourself. Um, there are some companies you do a one-time fee to set up your 401k. And I only recommend this for people that are very disciplined, uh, but there's no additional cost, uh, especially if you're able to do, if you're over 250,000, you got to send a, a 5,500 easy. And people are like, oh God, it's, it's a one pager. Literally says, what was your amount that, uh, what was your 401k worth at the beginning of the year? And what was it worth at the end of the year? It's very, very easy to fill out yourself. Um, so I, I, you know, if you've already, it sounds like you've already got something set up. I don't know how much is in it and, and what you plan on doing with it, but it may be better off in your situation not to, but you're also, since you're retired, probably in a lower bracket than you may be uh, either in the past or in the future. And if you're at a, a, a lower tax bracket, there's some fun play you can do there, especially if you know a particular year is going to be a lot less than others. Uh, you can transfer some of that money over to Roth during that time period as well. Yeah, I think the only thing I'm worried about now is that I invested in a bunch of syndication, real estate syndication deals, and I think I have some UBTI exposure. Yes. Okay, that's that's another issue. Well, and that's another benefit of 401ks. If you're borrowing, well, I don't know so much in a syndication, but if you have rental property and you borrow money, you will be paying uh, UBIT with uh, with an IRA, and you don't with a 401k, um, specifically for let, uh, for borrowing money. I, I got to make that clear because a lot of people think that there's no UBIT with a 401k. Trust me, there is, just not in that particular case. But if you're running a business out of your 401k, if you're flipping multiple properties, 
out of your 401k, go ahead. If you do more than three you're a year, you're likely getting in a scenario where you're getting you, but you could argue if you do two to three, maybe you're not. Um, I would recommend doing, if you're doing that, I would recommend doing a little bit of UBIT and declaring at least a little bit uh, on it just so that you can get the uh, uh, statute of limitations started. <laughs> hey, Chris, what, what is UBIT? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that term, UBIT. Unrelated uh, business income, taxable income. It's so, based. Go ahead. Right. If you... Um, if you buy a property and you put 50,000 in cash and then you have a hundred thousand in finance debt, theoretically okay, okay. two thirds of it would be subject to the, the UBIT tax because you're financing two thirds. But with a solo 401k up to 50,000 of that, you wouldn't most likely have the UBIT on that portion. Right. right. And, and look, it's there for a reason. I mean, if I'm flipping properties and I do it on my 401k and you're flipping properties, you're doing outside and we live in California and we're both in the 40% tax bracket or higher, I have a huge advantage over you. Uh, uh, and, and this goes more for business. I mean, if we had like a business of it or things like that. So th there's a reason they, they do that is to protect other people that are don't have those kind of accounts. But there are ways to avoid it uh, legally. Um, and uh the 401k allows you to do that if you're borrowing money. Now, I am not, and this is not a, a, a popular thought, but I am not an advocate of owning real estate in your 401k or IRA in your retirement account. To me, it's akin to having tax-free bonds in a retirement account. You're getting none of the benefits and write-offs of uh, you know having it outside. Um, so I prefer to like lend money out of my 401k or do short-term things that would otherwise be ordinary income. Uh, now, look, if it's the only pot of cash you have and you've got a good deal on a rental property, do it. It makes sense. Or if you know your, your, your basis is going to be extremely low, you've got some inside information or whatever on a really up and coming area. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I wish properties I bought for six grand that are worth 300 grand now that I bought 10 years ago, I had them in a Roth because that would have been awesome. Uh, but, uh, but I don't, and that's okay. Cause I still get huge write-offs for rental property. I want to make one point really clear too, and I'm going to let other people speak. Uh, the one other caveat with Roth is be careful where you invest it because we tend to invest in our charity deals and maybe some of our more risky deals. If you lose money on a deal, there is no writing it off. You've lost it. It's poof. And, and that can be very, um, that could uh, hurt. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, at least if it's traditional, then, you know, you already got the tax write-off and some benefit of it. If it's outside of a retirement account, well, then you can write that loss off against other gain. With the Roth, poof. Um, I, I, I want to mention, and I, I'm going back on my word here, but only because you mentioned syndication. I learned something the other day that I wish I had known earlier, and it's a bit more complex. But if you're in a position where you're, where you're transitioning from traditional to Roth, there are some tricks out there that can reduce your uh, tax exposure. Uh, and, and one of them is like this. You invest in a syndication or um, in something where you have very limited control uh, and uh, you invest it with traditional dollars. Uh, and then after it's titled that way, you ask them, 
at that time, at, at the time that you've now lost all of your control or a, a big part of it, uh, to now you know, switch it over to the Roth. And when you go to pay for it, and, and I wouldn't do this with your own, I would get professional people to appraise it for you, but because it's considered of lower value now, because of the lack of control, how many years it will be before you have access to it. You're, uh, and this is coming from the estate planning world. You now have a lower basis for it and therefore will pay lower taxes. So if it was worth a hundred grand before and now it's worth 65, you know, you only have to pay taxes on a percentage of what you've now transitioned over. Something new I learned, I wish I knew this years ago. But uh, something you may want to consider if you're ever considering, you know, trading over to Roth. Because in that example, Chris, you're saying when you transfer your property out of the IRA, you're actually only transferring $65,000. And that's what you're going to have to pay the tax on instead of the hundred. Exactly. Now, let's be, let's, it's all about semantics. You're not transferring out of the IRA. You're just transferring it from the traditional IRA over to Roth IRA. And it has to be after the fact. You can't, you know, pay for the transition and then invest in it and say, oh, it's now worth 65. It's got to be you invested in it at the time you had 100 grand. You invested in a vehicle that now you get a professional appraisal, appraiser, or there are people that that specialize in doing this uh, uh, that will tell you how much your investment is actually worth now. And it could be. Also, because the, now they've torn the building down to the studs or, you know, it's it's not as sellable and you don't have control and 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 the operating agreement says you don't have access to it. For, now, you got to make sure these are people that you trust or, or that this all makes sense, but you could really reduce your tax burden legally by doing this. Is there a name for it? Hey, Pete, you're, you're now muted. <laughs> <laughs> 72 is the start of the required minimum distribution. So um, the IRS did change that recently to where you have to take less out to start with. So you don't have to take as much in your beginning years as you used to. But that's kind of viewed as that way you pay more on the estate tax when you pass. So the best way is probably not to try to have any RMDs if possible. Hey, Jeff, I've been using... Uh a solo 401k for a few years now. And I really like it from, I, you know, I, I just found this out a few, like a few months ago when I transferred an old uh, traditional uh, 401k from a previous company into it. Um, it gives it some nice flexibility. So I kind of shove all my cash into the traditional, take the write off, you know, on my, on my W2 income from my business. Um, and then, uh, that money sitting in the traditional, I can peel off as much as I want because I'm the, the fiduciary of my of the solo 401k. So it's not like a traditional company where you either have to quit in order to get access to it. I can move, I can take, if I look at my tax situation at the end of the year and, and, and feel like, okay, I got some room in this tax bracket where I can roll it to a Roth. I can do some planning on that and trying to convert as much as I can. And then also, if it, like in Chris's example, if it's a million bucks and you don't want to risk all that money in the case you do a um, improper uh, uh, investment, in there, you can carve off like take a hundred grand, put it into a self-directed IRA, a self-directed IRA, um, so that it's at a different company, uh, you know, or a different account, so that you're just dealing with that and leave the rest in your solo four hundred one k. 
Well, uh, let's to get a little clarification about that. I mean, that I don't know that you'd necessarily, I mean, well, it depends what kind of risk we're trying to mitigate here. Uh, if you're, if it's against prohibited transactions, you, you actually don't need to do that uh, because it's with a 401k, it's transaction. Okay. The whole 401k. If you're doing it, you know, for asset protection and things like that and having in different vehicles, um, unless you have some other entity like an LLC, it's, it's, it's not improving your situation. Uh, okay. One of the deficits of a solo K in an IRA is there's no, what's called ERISA protection, uh, which is this government protection that really prohibits just about any creditor from getting access to your retirement funds. Now, depending on what state you live in, some states give non-ERISA protected retirement accounts just as much protection as ERISA. I will tell you here in California, and this really freaked me out when I found this out not too long ago, is that a judge can determine how much he or she thinks you need for retirement and the rest can go to a creditor. Um, so uh, be careful. Um, I, I'm considering creating a, a, a safe harbor plan or some other plan and hiring somebody or I, I'm looking at what my options are, but I, I really want that ERISA or I really want at least some form of asset protection uh, that will make sense. Um, but be careful and know that. Hey, Chris, have you um, looked at uh, insurance for your asset protection, like IULs? Oh, I, I, I you know, I, I, I've got a ton of umbrella insurance. Uh, and, and, you know, you're hitting it spot on. It's a really good question. And it's, it is important to do that too. But I live in California and, you know, my daughters are, are teenagers and learning to drive. And, the, you know, there's always a breadwinner somewhere and it could potentially go above. I mean, it's, it's exceedingly unlikely, but it could go above my umbrella. I mean, I've got a $5 million umbrella. I, I could hit a breadwinner that is making a million bucks a year and they could sue me for 10 million. Uh, and, and now it's, it's going against my personal assets. So, uh, you know, things, things, things happen, but, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, having umbrella insurance is, is key. Uh, there, there's also, and, and look, I'm not a paranoid guy, but insurance companies try, and, and they should, as any business should, try to weasel out of making payments uh, if they have to. So that's why I believe uh, in multiple layers of asset protection. And, and certainly insurance is at the top of the list of, of, of what you should cover. Um, Pete, do you, do you recommend your clients like any particular amount of umbrella? Do you, do you say like, if somebody's worth 10 million, that they should have at least a 10 million umbrella, or is it just how risk adverse they are? Or how do you, do you have any recommendations for that? You're on mute. Dollar amount to do a ratio that I've recommended. I, I just know I personally try to cover at least a third. A third, a third of your net worth. Okay. Is what I do personally. Um, grant depends on your net worth if your net worth is huge you're gonna want to buy more if it's starting out you might want to do 100 percent. it really i think depends on your your total dollar net worth if your net worth is a couple million you can buy two million worth of umbrella insurance for pretty cheap and have 100 percent protection so right and i'd also argue it depends on what state you live in uh, i mean if you have the majority of your wealth and retirement account and you live in a state with ironclad retirement savings uh, asset protection, 
then maybe you don't need as much. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, being in California, I love the weather here. I love my friends and family. I love so many things about it, but it is not <laughs> landlord friendly. It is not <laughs> business friendly, uh, but, uh, and it's a very highly litigious state too. So we all got to figure out our own personal situation. I also heard on the, uh, with the higher umbrella policies, you know, I don't know how true this is. You get the better lawyers with the higher coverage you get. <laughs> trying to defend, you know, $10 million policy versus a million. Well, uh, yeah. to, to your point, um, what some people do and what I do is, uh, you know, you have your general policy and then you have your umbrella. And most mm -hmm. people, they just bundle it and they get it from the same company. Uh, it's not too much more expensive. And sometimes it's even less expensive if you if you go out there and you look and see what's available. But if you have two levels of insurance, uh, you'll have two sets of lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point too. That's that's an interesting point. The double coverage there with two different companies, right. or you got to fight with two different companies to have them actually pay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I guess. Uh, but no, I mean one is liable up to that limit, and if it goes above that, then you're you're fighting with the other company. But I, I'd like to cover. Sorry, I mean if them actually paying. So. I know. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. But uh, I, I, I would. That's a good point. But I like the idea of having the double two sets of you know lawyers. Why not? If you have to, God forbid, we never have to use it. But uh, yeah. it's good peace of mind. Uh, and, and you got to do what helps you to sleep at night too. Well, that's a good point. You said you have teenage daughters driving, so you may want to be more risk averse and have a bigger umbrella. While if you're empty nesters, you might not need that. So, yeah, although a lot of people who don't think they need it, need it. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a bit personal, but I, I, I mean, well, then again, I, I think anybody that's anybody who's been working for a while, eventually is going to get sued. I, I hate to say that. Uh, there's so many frivolous lawsuits and, and I had a frivolous lawsuit and I was nothing more than foreclosing as a lender on somebody who stopped paying. But it doesn't stop them from getting a lawyer. And I mean, this is not like England where you've got to pay up ahead of time. Uh, and, you know, I get yeah, one. Great. They declare bankruptcy. I can't, you know, get anything. But uh, even just being a lender and or buying notes, you know, uh, well, I guess buying notes, that's something different. But just lending money on somebody with excellent credit, you would think, how, how can I get sued being a lender? Uh, I mean, how? Uh, I, it's not my house, you know, whatever. But uh, you can and people will. And just because you're right doesn't mean that you're not going to have to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. Julie, I think you asked me a question what something is called. Yeah. I mean, you said you put something in IRA and then when you don't have control, the value goes down and then you can roll over to Ross at a lower base. Is there a particular name for that so you don't have to explain in five minutes <laughs> so if there you, are you names. have to explain it to somebody yeah to to the right people <laughs> uh, because it's so rare that that this happens that mm -hmm. I, I would want to have experts that do it for me because i'm not going to try to explain it um so whether uh yeah who's ever doing the you know whoever um and i have access to people who who do this and uh not at, well, it's it's not like I get 
I know people who have done this and I'm sure I could get, you know, who they use as uh, the, the people who did the appraisals and such like that. But um, I haven't done it myself yet. I just learned about this about a month ago. And, and mm-hmm. the only thing I had was regret that I hadn't used it myself. Uh, and and the, you got to be okay with it because you literally have to have limited control. Now you could argue if you have a financial friend and it, the operating agreement says it, but you have such trust in that person that, you're okay with that limited control, but you will have limited control. Um, and it, it does have to be an asset that likely has to be tied up for a while. And, and there isn't any set percentage. This is why you need that outside third party to you know, officially do this for you. But I mean, I've seen some substantial, deduct- I mean, like over 80% reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can make a lot of sense for some people and if you, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, you have peace and family. You have some years you make a ton and you have some years you're at a loss. And if you can work that arbitrage to where you're converting certain assets, uh, you know, during those time periods, uh, you know, for capital gains, for converting to Roth, uh, I, I don't see enough people doing that. And it's, it can really, really, really help out in reducing your taxes if you can work it that way. Want more information? Join our community groups that exist to provide a space for like-minded people on a similar journey to learn, share, and network with real estate investing professionals and entrepreneurs. We meet weekly for an hour in Zoom to offer knowledge and accountability. Be sure to grab the link in our show notes. Yeah, good point. Thanks. Sure. Does anybody have... And I think I've asked this before, and maybe I'm repeating myself, but I'm still on the hunt for a good personal software for accounting and just basic bookkeeping. Um, I, I, I use so many different ones for business. They don't work terrific for personal. I've, I've far outlived Mint. Uh, I, I, I like Mint and I still use it because if I ever want to know, you know, specifically of a certain transaction, uh, I can just go in there and, and put type in the search box and I can find it or, uh, but it's just not good for people with alternative investments. It's just not great at all. But does anybody use Quicken or, or anything that they recommend or? I uh, honestly, I, I think QuickBook is the best. But that's more for business. Not, or do you use that for personal too? Well, for, uh, for personal, if you just want to get a free one, there's one called Wave. That's pretty good. And it's wave, W-A-V-E. It's free, and and I used it, um, and it's pretty good. The best thing is, uh, if you have different bank accounts, try to separate them for different purposes so that it makes bookkeeping so easy because you don't have to categorize them into different things. So for me, let's say I have one bank account for A business, another bank account for B business, another account for personal. And then you can have three different uh, wave accounts, different user ID, just link to different bank accounts and then they're just separated. So you don't have to um, constantly do bookkeeping because when you spend the money, you already know what category they should go to. Have you ever used Mint? I haven't. Okay. I'm just trying to see if, what the, the, the differences are between the two. Okay. Uh, what, but, what does uh, Mint cost then compared to Wave? Is there a 
Is it like 2030? It's, it's free. It's free. But it's 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 like really uh, advertising. I use, I use Mint. I use Mint just because it's an easy tool for my wife and I to kind of keep track of all the with kids, all the expenses flying in if we have money for something or not. But I only limit it to. I don't put all my business stuff in there. I just have my one kind of op- household operating account and yeah. and a and a savings account, and then that's it. And I don't really. It's good for kind of keeping those transactions going, but it's not good for like doing your real estate. Uh, it's not. Business. And it's biggest flaw I find. Well, there's two things. One, it's, it's so advertising intensive. I guess they have to make money somehow. But yeah. for me, the biggest flaw is there's no bulk input. You, if you want to add something that's not automatically in from a bank account or some other account, mm-hmm. you have to input it manually, which I'm fine with, except you can only do it by individual transaction. And if you, and like for me, I, I spent years, I have backlogs of mint data in there. And, you know, I didn't log on for like a, like three months at a time one time. And there are some accounts that have hundreds of transactions that I'd have to go in and individually input it because Mint won't go back far enough with certain accounts. Um, so be very careful if you're using it for that. Uh, I, it's one of the reasons I want to move away from it because I can't do any bulk entering uh, of, of transactions. Julie, do you know if Wave allows you to do that? Like, I think you, you know, can import um transactions and also yeah and another thing with quickbook is that a lot of people they want to have the professional quickbook that's going to cost you maybe 80 bucks a month um and then they separate like each um property but for me i think the best one is quickbook self-employed that's only 15 dollars a month and if you have two accounts that's only 30 bucks compared to the professional quickbook and, and to to me because it tracks uh, receipts and it matches reach receipts perfectly with the uh, transaction that you download it from the bank so and then you can sort it at any way you want um, so I, I think that's very uh, user friendly it costs you a little bit but that's the best software software I use so far. And yeah. oh, sorry, is QuickBooks Julie like really good for you know individual properties like track like where you can set up your customer? Yeah, the, the thing is, if you want to have, let's say you have a few and you want to categorize each transaction to be under each, you have to get the professional QuickBook. That's more expensive, okay. right? So if you only have um, four properties. Instead of spending 80 bucks, you could just spend 15 for each account. And then that's only $60. So what I'm saying is you, you, unless you have a a big portfolio, you have like um, 20 to a hundred, then then you should use the other one, uh, what, what is called. Building is a good one. Yeah, if you have a huge um, portfolio, you could use that one. Uh, but you, if, if for me, I have a small portfolio. I use, I just use a uh, Stessa. I think that's good enough. I started using that too for. Uh, I, I look. I use Buildium for my Columbus properties, where I've got a bunch of properties. But I've just started in Tampa, uh, and my partners are intent on using QuickBooks right now. Eighty bucks a month. 
Uh, such a pain. And I'm trying to, and I'm, I'm playing around with Stessa. Uh, there are two things I really love about Stessa. The biggest thing is that it's free and I like free. Uh, mm-hmm. And then two, it's the only one I know that if you have a professional manager who's managing it and they have either Appfolio or Propertyware, it's the only piece of software. And if anybody has any others that do this, please let me know because Stessa has other shortcomings. It will automatically import their reports, just like a bank account, into your account. Yeah. It's huge. I love it. Um, so what I'm planning on doing is is importing it into Stessa and then doing and then exporting from Stessa into whatever program um, I'm eventually going to use. Uh, I personally like Zero over QuickBooks because it's the same format and considerably less expensive. Uh, my accountant, it's uh, for the like a like a professional uh, account. It's ten dollars per entity. If I can get away with not doing the bank uh, automatic transactions, it's $1 a month. Uh, so, uh, and it's, I find it's much easier to use than QuickBooks. So uh, I, I know this sounds weird, but I've got a whole bunch of different entities with different partners. Uh, and so I've, I've got Zero, I've got QuickBooks, I've got Buildium, I've got Stessa. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, it, it all works because at least it's online and all my stuff is out of state for the most part, so I can get to it. Um, but uh, I, I do have recommends for that. But I haven't lined up yet personally is, is my personal stuff. That's not as good as I want it to be. And I will probably go to something like Quicken. I'm vacillating and still researching. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll check out this Wave one. Maybe it has what I'm, what I'm missing. Um, definitely. Uh, but does it have, I'm assuming you can import from bank accounts and they don't charge you for that? Great. And they don't send it to uh, Russian hackers either. The encryption's halfway decent. <laughs> Probably will report to IRS. Be careful. I don't care. I mean, IRS, I mean, look, if there's people listening in on my, on my Echo devices, if the IRS wants to snoop and I, look, they're going to be, the people are going to be very bored that listen to me. And the IRS is not going to get anything because I'm very organized with my, uh, with my numbers. Look, I'm not inviting an audit. I don't want it, but uh I don't lose sleep over at night on that, but uh, I would doubt that they would. I mean, I, well, isn't it? I mean, not them, but the banks. Is, isn't it anything over six hundred bucks now, or or did that not pass? That they have it, to submit? Did not pass. It did not pass. Yet, not yet, right? No, it had not passed. Good, good. So, so what is it? Just transactions over ten grand, I think, that they have to. Yeah, the CTRC is ten grand um, for banks. Um, if you're like in casinos and gamble, they'll do like a money transaction log of about two to three grand. So it's kind of depends on the business. So, um, got it. I wouldn't be shocked if the companies are reporting over six or already have it logged, but well, they probably have it logged. It's just a matter of it's subpoenaed. But, uh, yeah. if you're, if you're an American citizen, I would say it's going to be a very hard pull for a private company to release information unless they're, I don't know, they think you're some espionage, but, um, or, or you're a crook. Yeah. Uh, Pete, do you, do you have any recommendations for personal software? So I, I, I use QuickBooks. That's what I've used for RS, doing the books. Some of the clients that we do bookkeeping for, we'll do QuickBooks and then we'll set the properties up as customers. And then when we run the report, we'll just run it by customer to get the specific property detail. Do you like customer rather than class? 
or you can do class or customer. You, you just want that. You just want that filter to be able to break the properties up so you can see them in separate reports and break them out. Or you can just run the overall report to see how the portfolio is doing overall. But we also have clients that use Stessa a lot because it's free and they're able to export the reports in Excel to me. So yeah, yeah. Those, those are good. Ex yeah, those are good recommendations. But yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking less about the business side and more about the personal side. The personal side, I'm being an accountant. I'm pretty just. I do everything in Excel. So you do everything in Excel, don't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's that's really what I'm good at is writing uh, code and formulas in Excel and creating graphs and charts and all that stuff. And then it is a lot of fun. I can I mean I just download from the bank, put it there, pivot table, VLOOKUP, boom, I'm ready to go. So no. I don't have a lot of transactions. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I no, I, I love doing that too. And, and you can find you can do anything on YouTube these days. If I need a formula and I need to do something, I can look it up and find out how to yeah. do it. Yeah, but people people have used Quicken before that I know um, for their personal. Um, yeah, sadly, a lot of people don't have anything and don't really pay attention. <laughs> Most people don't. Yeah. Most people don't. I, I, I like having a full picture and, and seeing control over it. And if you're trying to reduce expenses and you don't even know what you're spending your money on, uh, I mean, I'll be frank with you. I, I'm helping my elderly mother out now. And I mean, she spends a lot of money on superfluous stuff. And, you know, when you don't know that you're spending a thousand dollars on numerology, you know, by calling and talking to somebody, you know, when you see it and you print that out for that person, uh, it, it can be an awakening when they realize how much of their money is going towards something that uh, at the very least they need to be aware. Yeah. That, you know, we, we all have these subscriptions nowadays. We have so many of them half the time. If you're not checking on a regular basis, uh, you, you might be paying for stuff you haven't used in years. Correct. Or when you sign up now, I've noticed they offer you the free trial and it used to be where, Oh, you have a monthly charge going forward, but now they've changed it to a yearly charge. So, exactly. Or something. You know, be careful when you sign up for those apps. Um, but yeah, in Excel, what I'll do is I'll build out like a cash flow statement for 12 months. So this is this is Pete's budget. This is why I spent this month. And I have tier ones like utilities, home, mortgage payment, blah, blah, blah. Tier twos, you know, bills I need to pay, but I don't really need to pay. And then tier three is my. I'm just going to go have fun this weekend. <laughs> so. um, is that something, and I'm putting you on the spot here, that you feel comfortable sending out a template for? Uh, we could do We could do a very high level, but. basic one. Um, just depends on kind of what people – I can do a big budget dashboard one, a high level, just kind of show you a format. Um, I, I would love that. I mean, I, I feel comfortable with Excel, and I wouldn't mind doing that. Now, do you – manually import like all of your data from the different bank accounts and stuff or do you, do you have a way that it does it automatically through i uh, know it's you got to download a report like a cv um an excel file or i think is it a cvs file cvs um, yeah no cvs is the uh, a pharmacy i think yeah so. yeah so i'll download that file into just tab because i use one credit card so i just monitor that credit card so there's an add-on. I'm assuming you're using, are you using Excel, like 365. Yeah. Uh, there's a 
I think it's Microsoft Money has an attachment for Excel that's free. If you've got uh, my, uh, uh, that, uh, will actually download uh, do, uh, automatically for you. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. Now, I normally just run the monthly report, download it, because I see the transactions line by line item. That's where I catch. Good idea, too. That this way you're forced uh, to look at each item. Yeah, where, hey, what is this? And then I can dig into more detail because a lot of businesses, at least where I live in Boise, doing business and what their charges is very different. <laughs> so, but uh, I'll just do it. I just wanted to say that I um, paid for a strategy session with Pete and it was great. Um, if anybody wants to do that, he can, he sets up a lot of um, Excel sheet for people and set out all your properties and which ones are, you know, maybe people do this already, but which ones are capping the best. And it was really helpful. Uh, but I did need a follow up a little bit with you, Pete. And so I don't know, I paid the fee and I, uh, for a follow up and I hope, I hope we can get together just to, to go over some. I just have a few more little questions, but they, you know, just easy. But yeah, I, no, I've got your questions written, Kim. There's a lot that I needed to get answers to. I just wanted to get them all answered before I give you a call. So, oh, okay. You'll, okay, you'll hear from me probably tomorrow. I'm just a little okay. bit busy with some uh, tech stuff. Okay, perfect. Because it was questions it was it was so helpful. I mean, it, uh, if anybody wants to do that with Pete, you know, I mean, it's tax season right now, so it's probably super busy, but, <laughs> but anyway, it was great. And I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yep. You're welcome. You know, Pete, I, I've got, like, I'll take up the time guys. I mean, if anybody else has questions, I'll, I'll shut my mouth, but, uh, I have a question that, you know, I guess it's relevant to the group too, uh, of a write-off that I heard of recently. And, want to kind of get your feeling or blessing or, or what you think. Um, but I have been, I'll tell you what I'm doing now, which I know is fine. And then I'll tell you the caveat of that, which I heard about and I'm hoping is true. So uh, I've been paying my kids the salary for over 10 years and the older they are, you know, it's age appropriate, you know, I, I, and I pay them up to the standard. I mean, they're both older teenagers and they, they do stuff for me um, and I pay them up to the standard deduction. Uh, but my oldest uh, has turned 18 and, um, you know, it's, it's my understanding and I'm 99% sure on this that, you know, if they're under 18, you don't have to pay payroll tax, assuming you're not paying out of a, a corporation. Uh, mm -hmm. The entity has to be a sole prop or an LLC, not taxes and S corp or, or C corp. Uh, but, but that's not my question. So my question goes like this is I was just going to stop paying after they turn 18. But I had an accountant tell me that you could pay your daughter, you know, your older daughter, you know, assuming they could do like a really big project for you. Mm -hmm. uh, they could do a one-time big project for you. And as long as it's only like a, a one time, uh, it, there's no payroll tax for them. So, I mean, if they did a big enough project that it was a 12 grand project and, you know, I, you know, paper it, make it legit, uh, that they don't necessarily have to pay payroll tax on it because it's an ongoing business. Do you have any feelings behind that? I, I have not heard that. Um, I've heard of the deduction of paying your children to lower your taxable income. Um, usually I'd view that though, and I'd have to do more research on that one only time entity, but normally if you'd pay her the 12,000, or stay below the minimum, she's going to have to file that 
kind of as a Schedule C because you're giving her a 1099 NEC. But since she's 18 or over, she might get the earned income credit. And it might zero it out entirely, even if she had to pay the payroll tax. So, okay. Yeah. That could be, that could be another aspect. But I'd have to look on the one time engagement um, whether it fall under employee earned income or if it's more of like a royalty or. I will, I will look it up because he gave specifically where to file it on and everything. And if I find it in my notes, I'll, I'll bring it yeah, up. Yeah, you could because but I, that, that intrigued me. I mean, he even yeah. said like up to 22 grand. I mean, or he used even the number 22 grand. I haven't followed up with him, but I will. But uh, more so, I want to know how often I can do that. <laughs> you know, twice a year, once a year, every other year. I mean, what would be, and I wouldn't use the same amounts and I wouldn't do the same projects, but uh, I like this idea of, well, at the very least, hang her out to six grand so that she can, you know, put into a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing that forever with my kids is, yeah. uh, you know, they have great size IRAs because since they were young, I paid them out to at least to that and went straight into their Roth. I got the, the write-off and they get the Roth tax-free for life and don't have to pay any taxes on it. Yeah, no, the 22000 I'm... I'm wondering if he's doing an earned, earned income credit. So, um, but box three form 1099 mis, uh, miscellaneous. So we're miscellaneous. Good. And then kids form 1040 one time income is reported as schedule uh, one. No, that's schedules. Shit. Line 82, other income line. Yeah, it's. It's. it's it's schedule one where it lists of other likes where teachers can do their deductions for 350. So what that does is you put at schedule three, you're, he's has it in box three. So he's not having it as like a contractor pay income. So instead of having it flow to schedule C, he's having it throw to like the schedule one as income, which then does avoid the payroll tax. Then I guess the, yeah, the reasoning behind it is it's a one-time project. So it's on ongoing business. Yeah. Uh, I guess, well, I guess my question to you, if you think that now, I don't know, and I'm okay with levels of gray, uh, but uh, how gray is it? I mean, if it's a one-time project, I, I'd be surprised if you get it on and on it, you know, but do you think this is something you could get away with doing like one project or two projects a year? Or does that now start looking like a, a trader business? I think it would just depend on the amount that the total, all the projects add up to. I think that's more of the bigger concern. And if your risk tolerance is high, I mean, you as a business, as an expense, you're fine. Your daughter may have to pay a little tax. You know, you've got the payroll tax. Still a lower tax bracket than me. So yeah. Correct. So, I mean, you can run it and try it. If you get audited, if she gets audited and has to pay, it's still going to be lower than what you had to pay. And it's not going to be that much because you do, even if she had to pay the payroll tax, you do get a credit for half of it. And then, I would argue, depending on how her taxes are filed, she could even fall under earned, earned income credit and that all gets zeroed out. You may even get money back. Mm, interesting. Even if she's a dependent? Th that would be the change in dependent. So that's where you may not claim her as a dependent to get your $500 tax credit if you get it. And she's just an independent at that point. And then she might be able to get more money back through EIC. Okay. But it'd be a scenario you'd have to run. She's going to be turning 19 soon and she lives in the house. I mean, as long as she lives in the house, even if I don't declare her as a dependent, could it be argued 
she is, or does it? It's just a matter of what I'm willing to claim or not. Is she going to school, or she uh, she goes to school, but locally, and she lives at home. Yeah. And so I for a while. You can she could you can not claim her as a dependent. I mean, just because she lives at home doesn't mean she's a dependent. I mean, the IRS asks those questions to be a dependent, but you could not claim her. I mean, you don't have to claim her at age nineteen. So. Okay. Yeah. I like this. I like have to, I'd have to honestly research more on the one-time thing is not a continuing business and income. That I would just be conservative and say it's Schedule C, but you could file it under that other form, tax form, and then you would also just risk an audit, but it wouldn't be that much if you did get audited. So depends on your risk tolerance. Right, Ross. I like it. <laughs> so. It'd be cheaper for her to pay taxes than you, so. Hey, guys, we are coming up here on time. I do want to flag. I've got to hop out right at uh, to Central Standard. But, you know, we typically keep the room open with a couple of staff members for a few minutes longer if you guys have other questions. But thank you to Pete, and thank you for everybody bringing your questions today. Yep. So, you know, as Pete mentioned at the top of these calls, we're actually going to try to source as much as we can inside of Discord for these Q&A um, calls just so we can have a better prep period for them. So anything comes up over the next couple of weeks for you that you want answered on our next session like this, just drop it in Discord. Our team will keep a running log of it um, and make sure we've got it going. But thank you so much, guys, for joining. Um, like I said, it'll probably be open for another minute. I'm going to go ahead and hop off, but I hope to see you guys in one of our other calls this week. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. Chris, mm -hmm. uh, I'm just going to start doing this thing like you did to pay my kid. So um, do you file 1099 if you're dependent, you're dependent? Okay, so I, I have to ask, I, I'm going to get a little more granular here because uh, I want to I know how you're doing this. So the, the entity that you're paying them from, what is that? Uh, how about sole proprietor? Sole proprietor is good. Mm -hmm. It can't be a, well. It can be an S corp and it can be a C corp. If it is, you're going to pay payroll tax no matter what. Oh, okay. okay. Now I have an S corp, and so uh, for my active business. So mm -hmm. what I do is I have created a sole prop that's called Weiler Family Management, mm -hmm. and it's exclusively there for my daughters. Mm -hmm. And my S corp pays out to that Weiler family management and there's a 1099 to Weiler family management. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, I'm not quite sure if I, I you know, I, I can't remember if my Weiler family management does 1099s. I'll have to look on that or if it's even necessary. Uh, so your question is, Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I paid out to Weiler Family Management. So if, if you're doing it directly from yours, then the answer is yes. You 1099. Them. Yeah. Can, can people hear me? Okay. Did I lose you? Yes. And, and you said the, Julie, I, 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 I'm getting the robot voice. Uh, can somebody else speak on this and let me know if they're hearing that too, or is it just me? No, Julie, you froze up and we couldn't hear that last uh, sequence. Oh, oh, sorry. What's the, what's the amount, amount to limit? What's the limit? 
Um, okay. Yeah, this is a really, really good question. And I think this is ripe for abuse. Uh, and I'll give you a great example. There are people who learn this method and they say, well, I use my kids as models and I'm going to pay them 30 grand a year for modeling for my company. And it's like, come on now. You got to do what's reasonable. That's right. You know? yeah. um, so uh, you want your kid modeling for your company? Uh, I, the only way I would see avoiding an audit is either A, you don't, you pay them very modestly. Or B, if they are actually models and they, you do have income from them from other sources for modeling, then use it. If not, I just, I like gray. I don't like abusing the gray that much. So depending on their age and what they're doing is how much I would pay them. Um, I like, I have older teenagers. Um, so up until, uh, you know, for instance, so my 15 year old right now, uh, she gets paid 12 grand a year. Why do I like 12 grand? Well, the standard deduction is 12.5. So yeah. she'll have zero taxes. Yeah. And I pay her 12 grand. Six of it goes into uh, a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. And the other six goes toward expenses that are specific to her. But mm -hmm. don't, you know, I... <laughs> I hesitate to give this as a recommendation to people unless you take it seriously, you paper it, you have contracts, you show a track record, you have um, an employment contract with them. And ideally, I mean, not ideally, and, and you actually make them do some of this stuff. I mean, you, it can be a great teaching moment for them. Um, but the younger they are, the less money is reasonable for them to be paid and what you should be doing. Um, look, when they're really young, they can still clean your office. They can shred papers. They can empty out the trash. So pay them what's commensurate with that, whether it's three or four grand a year. And then every year as they get older, they get paid more. That's reasonable. Julie, you, were you able to hear all that? Because you're, you're frozen. On yes. And then... Uh, and then what's that one-time project about, let's say you are paying your kids to do bookkeeping and that's an ongo ongoing project. And so you just mentioned that one-time project. What, what is that about? So what happens is that, I mean, th think of very traditionally like 100 years ago when there, there are so many family farms and kids, you know, your sons and daughters, I mean, they worked on the farm. And nobody was going to subject farmers to having to do payroll taxes and 1099 all this for your kids. Um, so it tends to be very loose on kids that are minors. There's also, there's not really a need to pay disability benefits because they're there and you pay for them because if you have to, you know, if you're, you have an accident at work, you know, your work's going to have to pay for that. So, but if you're they're your kids, they're not going to be suing you unless you live in California like I do. But uh, kidding. Um, <laughs> so I, I, the long way of explaining this that I just did uh, is the cutoff is 18. Anything above that, you're going to have to start paying payroll taxes. If it's an ongoing working relationship. So if they're doing your bookkeeping for you and they're 18 or over, you're going to have to pay payroll taxes on it. Um as employee, mm -hmm. but if you are 1099, then they're not your employee. 
are you supplying the computer? Are you supplying the time and the place? Uh, I mean, they're not an independent contractor. Um, and if even if they are an independent contractor, they have to pay payroll tax themselves because they're over 18. Uh, that's right. So if they're over 18 and if you are paying more than 12500 they will just file tax return themselves. Well, you know, honestly, yes, is the, the direct answer. I would argue even under 12, although they don't have to file the tax return, mm -hmm. I do every year. So why do I do that? That just sounds extra. Well, one, it's so simple to do. And two, it starts the statute of limitations. You don't mm -hmm. file a return, no statute of limitations. So mm -hmm. if, they, if they consider, uh, you know, if you want to reduce your audit risk, File a tax return. Do it yourself on TurboTax for 30 bucks or free. Since how old? Uh, Since like, I learned this and I mean, let me think about this. Since how old are they? I mean, my uh, like your kids, do you start filing tax for them since they're 10? Uh, probably seven. <laughs> okay. It's so simple to do. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Actually, my accountant does it for me for free. Uh, okay. because it's just, it's such, it's, it is so simple to do. Okay. Um, but, uh, it, it also shows it's, you know, professional and it's, it's, you know, you start the statute of limitations. So I recommend that, but you also asked about the one time thing that is if they're over 18. Okay. Uh, and they would have to start paying payroll tax. Apparently it's, it's, it goes like this. If it's a one time project, there, it's not an active trade or business. So they don't necessarily have to pay. The way it's explained to me is they don't have to pay payroll tax because mm -hmm. it's not ongoing business. Okay. If they're doing bookkeeping and they're doing it regularly, that's an ongoing, you know, the business, an employee call, whatever you want. Okay. But a one-time project, not so much. Okay. What's the highest that you can pay for a one-time project? So, uh, you, you if know. If they're 21. There's no real answer to that except to say it's it's got to pass the sniff test, right? If you're paying your, you know, 18-year-old 50 grand to paint your office, is would you pay – the test is would you reasonably pay somebody else for the same job? And if I see. So it can be pretty high in California. Well, it can, but I'm not paying 50 grand to a painter to paint my office. Right, right. We'll have to go because I've got my ladies here. Yeah, now if they're really good at computers. Um, Chris, we learn so much from you all the time. Thank you. I mean, look, if they're really good with computers and they create an amazing software program for you, that's, that's yeah. Great. Then, yeah, you, you could go up there, you know, 20 grand or so. But you would reasonably pay a coder. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. I, I have to go, but I do want to thank you, Chris. I really learn a lot from you. You're amazing. Thank you so much. We really do learn a ton from you. I, and I like that renting out the house idea too last time. So, all right, I, I got to go, but thanks. I can't wait to see you next week. <laughs> okay, bye. I always learn something and... and the more you tell people about it, the more you reinforce it yourself, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I like it, too. Okay, anybody, anybody else? Anything? Hey, Chris, I was just going to say, well, we're 
searching, you know, I found a, a accounting thing called REI Hub. Oh, shoot, sorry, it's uncalled. Um, that I'm going to look into. I'll, I'll let you know if I what, how that kind of looks at. It's it's basically, you know, on the web page it compares it to QuickBooks, but um, specifically for real estate. REI Hub. Yeah, reihub.net, I think. If you could put that in the chat, just or I guess I could do a search here. Yeah, let me see. I, I think I got it up. Rental property count. Rent. No, that's that's sad. Yeah, reihub.net, I see. See pricing. I just don't know if it does that um, where it pulls in, you know, from like property where some of the other stuff too. Yeah. I don't know anybody that does that besides Tessa. And, and I think there's yeah. a reason for that too. And and the reasoning goes like this. Uh, property wear and um, shoot, what's the other one? Property wear and Appfolio. App, thank you. Appfolio are uh, professional, you know, home manager software themselves. So they would prefer you to buy that. But Stessa is, is more bare bones and, and doesn't offer very much. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have a decent software program, why would they, what interest do they have in being able for you to, to convert over that instead of buying theirs? Yeah. Well, and, and really like when, you, when you're pulling the, you know, this together, you know, it, when, you, when it pulls it from your bank, you're seeing a single line item transaction that comes into you got a deposit of $4,000 or whatever it is. And, you know, and, and it could be if you have five properties or four properties or three, you know, there's a breakdown that you have to pull from your manager's website to, to kind of sync up with that, you know, what it's pulling from the bank account. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Are, are we talking specifically account. about what it pulls from the property managers? Yeah. If you're saying if it's going to pull, like if REI Hub pulled or QuickBooks, pulled from property where, you know, it would pull third, let's say you had, a, um, you know, 10 transactions, if you had three properties that it's, it's pulling um, in your bank account, your property manager gives you one deposit, you know, so when the, when the, I'm sorry, I'm not. No, actually, I know exactly what you're talking about. And one of the biggest problems I have with Stessa and uh, why I can't do it is the, Property management software will import it in. And, and for me, at least, I, I have it where it lines up with the, the correct transaction with the correct property. Um, when it, it doesn't allow you, and my biggest problem with this is you cannot create your own categories uh, and, and get things to line up perfectly with what you're saying. Uh, like, uh, I want it to be called like... Um, you know, I, there, there's no way to, to make it so it melds perfectly with what you're exactly saying. It's like the import from your bank account and the import from your property manager. Yeah. It's not, it's not, a, it's not seamless and it's not something that you can manipulate. Uh, well, and you have to, you have to spend, a, I mean, I have to spend a lot of time if, if it's there going back and reconciling and make sure it pulled in everything correctly to match my bank account. Cause some of the expenses come I pay directly. Some of them I get paid by the property manager and, you know, and merging those two things together and they all have to go into the right categories. Um, but what know, do you call it? I mean, if you're importing it from the property manager and it's 
for the rent, and then you get the one from the bank account. I mean, which one is considered rent, and which one goes against the other? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You have to have if you get a thousand dollar deposit from your bank account. That's um, and you look and you dig down into the details of it. That could be three properties of you know the net three hundred dollars or whatever you know. But that can be split up. I mean, that's that's right. That's just a matter of reconciling. My my issue is actually, you know, double accounting. How do you, what do you call it? I I mean, you can't call both of them rent because now now you'll have double the amounts of rent. Uh, I'm having to use things like owner distribution, even though it's not an owner distribution. Yeah. Uh, And and it's uh, it's it makes it more complicated. So it's like the ones that come in from the bank account are owner distribution, and then rates against it with the. the rent and it, it, it's just not it's not ideal yeah I, I use quicken right now and it's um you know it doesn't have an online is the online part isn't good it's it's desktop software but it has custom categories so all the transactions that come in for me over the course of the the month i don't have to think about they just automatically um uh, get entered and categorized correctly and then i just have to make sure the amounts are are sync up but it's, Do you, um, okay, so because one thing I was thinking is that I can, look, I can get from the manager software, you know, CBS files or, you know, Excel files, Excel, right. all that stuff. But it looks to me, because Stessa will organize it, get mostly the right way, it's, it's actually more probably better off to import it to Stessa and then from there export it to something like QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you go that route or you just take the reports you get and you input it? Manually? No, I, I just, I have Quicken download sync up with all my bank accounts and basically have one checking account and um you know that run i run all my real estate through um and with the series you know because i use the series llc type and the management piece of it so and and all those transactions have you know throughout the month um there's a lot of reoccurring stuff that happens every month and it just as those get downloaded it gets it matches up to um uh preset transactions that I have in Quicken that enter every right from your bank account and but how about the property manager stuff yeah I don't I don't import I just take I take a hard copy a, a pdf of the statement and I take that um the two thousand dollar deposit from my property manager that has three properties and I just split that in Quicken and say and then I have to go in and make it match their statement to what you know what it is and and then I take to get all my reporting. I just take quick and I ex- export it to an Excel. It spits out the raw data, and then it gives me all my to an Excel sheet, and it gives me all my schedule and um, stuff, and you know the format that's easy for my accountant and for uh, you know seeing how my profit is and all that stuff. So it's not it's not clean by any any means. It's a few step process, but. I get it. Yeah, but I, I want to get to something. I'm afraid Quicken's going to someday just say we're not doing the desktop. They're going to convert to an online, and a lot of the customers they already did that to a degree. Well, they, they were owned by um, I don't know if I remember this right, like by Intuit initially, and then they it got really rough for a while. Like the support wasn't good. They got bought by I think a private equity firm, and now they're their own company and they're there it's it's been improving over the last like years it's a lot better today there's not as it's not as buggy 
And but you rushed. can still buy an offline desktop version. Yes. Because I, I was in the impression you still have to pay annual. And then like, like I have an old one and it basically says, we're not doing updates for you anymore. Oh, no. It, yeah. I still have to pay annually. I pay an annual fee. Um, but uh, it's like 90 bucks or something a year or so, something like that. But it does the updates, you know, the, but it's a desktop yeah, software. With the, the online one. Oh, because it's more expensive. Well, no, I just haven't, I don't know, just haven't made the switch to do, because I have everything, you know, running now. So it just, uh, I got to go through the effort of getting something that I'm comfortable with. And I don't know that their online piece of it is as robust as a desktop. Actually, I, I might, you find, you might find it's even more robust because it's constantly updated. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, when it comes to my active business, I'm a big fan of zero. If you're looking at anything else and all these programs, don't forget too, they know that QuickBooks is the big, big yeah. on the market. So they make it as easy as possible for you to transfer all of your things over to it. Right. It's, um, I'm not talking about QuickBooks. I'm talking about QuickIn. Oh, sorry. So they're they're different. Uh, that's why I, I agree with you. The online of QuickBooks is is a lot more robust. The online version of QuickIn is not. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, you're convincing you me. Hmm? I have a question for you guys. Um, you know, when you do those um, transaction download from your bank, it's automatic. However, the mortgage payment, there's no way they can separate the interest. And the principal, is that a manual thing you guys do? So the short answer to that is yes. Now you can do that every month. I mean, or you could once a year just go back and then just change all 12, uh, you know, you know, accounts. I mean, yeah. So that means you have to exclude all the mortgage payment transactions, right? So you have to exclude 12 payments. And then manually enter an uh, interest expense, right? So, now, the easiest way, oh, uh, I'm just going to get this, Brian, then you could probably add on top of it. It's just keep the same transaction. Just, you know how you do, you know how to split transactions? Yeah. Every software has that ability where you can split the transaction. So it comes in from the bank and yeah. then you change it. And I would call it either all principal or all interest. I would just call it all principal because or all interest, uh, depending on where you are. And if the interest is higher, just put all interest. And at the end of the year, split the transaction and then put the amount that's, you know, label the one that's principal, principal, and then keep the rest for interest. So it's you have to split 12 times because the amount every month is different. Well, yeah. it's actually much worse than that because if you only have one rental, this is no big deal. It's just 12. But I've got over a hundred. So you are splitting. <laughs> well, actually, no. I mean, I don't have mortgages on all of them, but I have dozens of properties with mortgages on them. So, um, fortunately, most of them are a business partner whose full-time job is to do day-to-day -day stuff, and he just once a year, once a quarter, every whatever, he just goes back in there and he splits a transaction uh, and, and and figures it out how much. Okay. Is so, so you have to manually split every mortgage payment into principal and interest. That yeah, and it, it's, it's easy. You can get an amortization table or create one yourself. Very, oh, very yeah, I, I know, but you have to do the transactions to split. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm just saying, instead of having, I, I mean, I, I do that just so that when I have to do that, at least 
I'm not trying to figure out each time how much yeah. is interest and how, you know, getting the correct number. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. And, and I'd love to hear if anybody else has a solution that's better. Um, but you, you Brian, know, how do you do it? I, I, I do the same. I have an automated transaction that just says there's a mortgage payment of a hundred bucks this each month that, that just automatically gets entered in my registry it's split between principal and interest. And then every six months I'll just, go look at all my mortgage statements and just reconcile and say, um, you know, get it to match. Like oh, I have the end of the year, you know, cause it's close. And then I fine tune it at the end of the year and just say, you know, to get it to match the statement so that it's, it's okay. You know what? I, a really easy way to do this guys. Now that I think about it, I mean, just think of double entry accounting, I, you could have every one of them that comes in just called mortgage payment. I wouldn't even put it to interest or uh, principal. And then uh, you could do once a year, just have a separate journal account and, uh, you know, zero it out. So, you know, if it's a debit um, on your, your uh, if it's the mortgage payment is a debit on your, uh, sorry, uh, in your bank account and where the army goes, have it as a credit in the journal entry. This is called the same thing, and then have the debits of interest and principal on that journal, and just have it zero it out. And you could do that once a year, and just cut and paste it. Does that make sense, or did I explain that horribly? I, I think you could do any way you want, but I'm just wondering: all these real estate apps didn't figure out an easy way to split it, so that we don't have to do it manually, especially when you have a lot of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, I bet you there's a solution out there. But uh, I mean, to create a journal entry uh, would take you five minutes once a year. And depreciation is something you have to enter manually. 100%. Yeah. Okay. You do, but it, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know what place it has in a lot of the, the, the counting that we do of just kind of profit and loss. Um, it's more of a write-off against higher taxes. I mean, you definitely want to do it, but it's it's something I let my accountant do. I, I don't I don't mess with that. Yeah. Okay. Personally. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Anybody else? You guys. No tips or tricks or anything, guys. Oh, yeah. uh, QuickBook. There's another good thing about QuickBook. You can create rules, and the rules can apply to future transactions or uh, previous transactions. So you can sort them and then pick a whole bunch of them and change at once, like in Excel. So I, I think that's something that's really good about QuickBooks. No, that's something that is very good, and, and uh, I, I think most even moderately robust accounting programs will do that. Zero will do that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious if Wave will do that. Uh, even Stessa to a degree will do that. Um, but you're, it will save you so much time and effort. I totally agree with you, Julie. You got to get a program that will, uh, mm -hmm. uh, so that you don't have to do everything manually. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you're feeling overwhelmed with taxes as they relate to your real estate business and investments, or you're unsure if you're doing your accounting correctly, fill out our five minute quiz. With the information from this quiz, you'll schedule a meeting with a Royal Legal Solutions advisor who will provide you with powerful tax-saving strategies on your first call. 
go to www.royallegalsolutions.com tax to fill it out.